Hey, hi, how are you? What's up? What's going on? Welcome in to another edition of 10,000 Pitches, a podcast devoted to everything Minnesota soccer and beyond. As always, presented by our good friends over at Stimulus Athletic. We have reached episode 64 of the cast. If you have not subscribed, please do so on your preferred podcast platform. Don't forget to leave that five-star rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. If you do have an Apple device, you can also follow us on all the socials, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at 10K Pitches. As always, joining me this week, Mr. Dominic Jose Bazonio up in Duluth. Dom, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic. You're wearing a t-shirt, but it's it's cold up there. It's cold here too, but I can only imagine it's colder up there. Yeah. You got the heat going already? I we do have a heater on um it's it's not it's not that bad in my apartment right now. I'm also probably just getting used to it. Because uh, yeah. it's a little cool where I work, but yeah, it it's definitely not getting fun in the morning. In the morning now, it's getting to the point where you gotta pre-start the car ten fifteen minutes, Ugh. get get the defrosting going. I'm not ready for no that. Snow, I'm so yeah. glad. I'm so but, glad yeah. I live in an actual house with an attached garage now. Uh, like that's like such a such a big plus to not have to do that every morning. Because yeah, that's rough. It's rough sledding. Um, we had that three day period where there was like that nice, like morning nip in the air, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, Oh, this is cool. This is fall. But then, you know, it, that just goes away so quick. And all of a sudden we're into like defrosting the car, yeah. like uncomfortable, unless you're wearing a, a coat and gloves and hat. Like it's, it, it comes so quick, Dom. We're not ready. Life for hits it. you faster. <laughs> it does. It does. If you don't look around once in a while, I might miss it. Um, anyways, uh, Don, we appreciate you. Uh, you know, I appreciate you co-hosting as always really good interview. We actually just wrapped up an interview with, uh, NPSL 2021 golden boot winner, Sydney Warden, uh, just recapping that big 2021 season he had with Duluth talking about, you know, his, his fall college season that he's, you know, undergoing right now with Mercyhurst. Um, it just seems like every time I check their Twitter over like the last two weeks, I see him scoring a goal. So it seemed like good a time as any to have him on the show because he's doing big things. They're on a big roll and looking to, uh, you know, uh, qualify for the, uh, for the postseason there. So, uh, really good conversation with him. Excited for you guys to hear that and just a little bit on the show. Um, but, um, we are going to kick things off here with some big news that, we knew about Dom, but we were not privy to pass along to the masses, unfortunately. Uh, but it may have been a surprise, probably was a surprise to those of you who weren't in the loop, that Minneapolis City is not the only team in Minnesota joining USL League Two. Now, what I loved about this, Dom, is you know, you the USL always posts like the 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 teaser tweet, right? Right. Um, and it was pretty obvious the first time around who it was. Uh-huh. But all of a sudden, as soon as they mentioned a second team from Minnesota was joining USL too, I mean, the, you know, the, it feels like that, um, uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia when he's yeah. standing in front of the board and all the, you know, all the yeah. uh, yarn is connected and stuff like that. That's kind of what people were doing on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, After no, they absolutely. It, people were like, it's Duluth, it's Med City, it's this, it's that. And people were like, no, it's not. No, it's not. It was like, oh, the people were... People were going crazy. I saw multi-stage arguments about why it was or wasn't Med City. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like complicated discussions about why it wasn't or was Med City. I was like, oh, well, you're all wasting your time, but it's interesting. 
their coach did an interview in 2015, uh, two <laughs> coaches ago, and said that they would never join a league like USL League Two. So they're obviously not going yeah. there. So you zoom um, in on the corner of the logo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but so the team is actually not a team that's competing in the NPSL or the UPSL or that has even really fielded a uh, uh, a semi-pro level team. It's St. Croix SC. Now, this is, just because they have not really fielded a semi-pro team does not mean they don't have history here in Minnesota. I mean, they they started an academy back in 1984 and have actually run a, a really good academy program for the last uh, math, 37 years. So, <laughs> yeah. And that's what some of these teams are doing, especially you see this prominently over on the women's side uh, with teams, you know, in the WPSL, especially here locally, that you have a, a youth program, a youth club. And at some point, they want the people that are coming through the club to have an option within the club system to continue to play after their youth sort of run is over and so they a lot of times they that solution is to just start uh an adult or a semi semi pro level team and that's what st Croix sc is doing here and they're doing so in usl league too yeah and it, you know it's like you said it's something we've seen uh local examples you know salvo and, and the thunder and um to an extent that's what uh the twin stars and then maple brook have been doing over the years on the men's and women's sides um so it's not a brand new model but it's it's certainly interesting to see uh a name that we've not associated with adult soccer before uh mm -hmm. getting into it and also one that isn't quite from the twin cities bubble it is technically part of the metro but uh not so much from that inner bubble of the twin cities where most of these teams tend to come up yeah absolutely so st Croix based out of stillwater um, and uh, in the press release from USL League Two, uh, Nathan Klinecki, the executive director, said, quote, we're especially excited to be able to continue to nurture our players' aspirations beyond the youth level and to have the opportunity to watch these young men play in front of and represent our community, end quote. Now, this is going to be interesting. It'll be interesting to see if St. Croix can sort of break the mold, because one of the things that that I guess kind of provides maybe restrictions or or um, could could limit them from a uh, uh, a notoriety or a, an attendance standpoint is when you kind of focus on the club and focus on the youth and focus on just providing more opportunities for them, you're kind of, in, in turn, that has led to clubs being sort of less focused in, uh, you know, my community outreach and trying to be the community's club. You know, this is sort of just kind of another level of the youth club it's seen at times. So, you know, a lot of these times when you, you know, when you go to these matches, it, it's really no, there's no really buddy else there besides the, maybe the, the youth players who are in that club and maybe people who are related to or friends of the players on the pitch. A lot of times there's, I wouldn't call it a failure, but there's a lack of emphasis on developing a community around the team. It'll be interesting to see if St. Croix can sort of break that mold and sort of bring in the, you know, the Eastern suburbs, if you will, um, to their, to their club and, and kind of develop a little bit of a fan base because Minneapolis city has set the bar. I'm not saying they need to be Minneapolis city, but I feel like at this level, you sort of at least need to need to try and at some level bring the community in on this. 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, obviously, like you said, a lot of the teams that follow this model we're talking about do not always thrive in terms of attendance or, or some would argue fan culture, regardless of the number of people. Um, and, and that's something that we'll have to watch out for. I do think that without knowing their intentions, um, I do think that they have a unique opportunity to, uh, you know, maybe have an easier approach to that situation than say a Salvo or a Thunder in the sense that they are not dealing with a hundred other soccer teams in their Mm -hmm. area at this level. So, you know, they're based in Stillwater. Um, I think they also technically uh, operate in a, a neighboring town to Stillwater as well. On the other side of the border, uh, Stillwater being right on the St. Croix River, the border with Wisconsin. Um, yeah, places like Hudson River Falls, where I'm from. None of these places have um, adult men's collegiate soccer. Um, mm-hmm. None of them obviously have another like am- high-level amateur team. Of, even of even east of St. Paul, Dominic. I mean, there's yeah. really not much no. representation at this level east of St. Paul. So you could bring in uh, people from the eastern suburbs who are interested in soccer. Right. Like you said, that western portion of Wisconsin, right on the border there. There's a, there's not uh, a ton of teams there either. I mean, look at the WPASL. That's really more like northern yeah. and like central western Wisconsin. You know, right. so there's there's a there's a lot of uh, room to reach. If you right. so choose, if you're saying Corey SC, and I think they would be wise to to attempt to sort of yeah. become the club for those areas. Yeah, and, and if if they do it right, I think they could actually get some really surprisingly strong numbers to these games uh, within a year or two. Uh, mm-hmm. But again, that that depends on how much effort they're willing to put into it. I know for a fact there are lots of people in those places that enjoy soccer and would probably be willing to go watch it or be interested in going to watch it but as we've seen with plenty of other teams it's not always about whether or not there are people that like soccer around it's also about the effort the team puts in so um you know that's why half the mpsl teams in the north get like several hundred people and the other half get almost nobody they're all they're all in places where people like soccer it's it's just a matter of how those teams market themselves how they reach out to the community so yeah again it'll, it'll be interesting to see how they approach that obviously they have a fair bit of time before it gets close to their season in the next summer. Um, but I would be hopeful that they, they put some effort into that. And we will be reaching out to St. Croix and, and trying to maybe uh, get some representation from them on the pod here, uh, you know, to learn more about the club, about, about the youth club and about kind of their, their plans uh, as it pertains to the conversation we just had, but also, you know, their, their plans moving forward as they transition into USL league too. So that'll be something to really, really, uh, keep a close eye on and um, you know it's exciting to have again the the, the twin cities rivalries just don't die dom and they're, they're always there it always seems like they pop up you know no matter you know you lose uh you you lose you lose some teams but then all of a sudden some other teams pop back up yeah. or minneapolis you know you have a team that leaves one league and goes to another or or joins a new league and all of a sudden another team pops up so it's like the, these these twin cities uh area rivalries are seems like they're forever yeah. And, and one, one thing that I, this, I, I popped into my head just as you brought up the WPASL. Uh, j- just something to note that I thought was a, a good point that, uh, that Josh uh, Ramf, Ramf, I don't know how to say his last name, I never said it out loud, um, from Pateau. Uh, mm-hmm. he, uh, he was talking about on, I, I guess it must have been Twitter, was just saying that from, you know, from a Pateau perspective and from 
I, he didn't say this, but you would imagine from some other teams in, in WPASL uh, that, you know, this provides a new challenge that should probably be celebrated, that there's going to be a little stronger presence in their neck of the woods of a higher level. Um, whereas mm-hmm. in the past, all the bigger amateur stuff's going on kind of central in Northern Minnesota. And then they kind of have their own thing going on in Western Wisconsin um, with, with some rare exceptions, obviously, you know, Eris is in lacrosse, but Eris also, has its own struggles with community outreach and, and success on the pitch. Uh, so if St. Croix can start to be that presence on the border, that kind of changes the uh, the landscape a little bit for those teams. But as Josh was at least saying was his perspective, he sees that as, as a positive challenge. So it'll be interesting to see how that further develops that ecosystem. Yeah, absolutely. And then you have El Paso who are kind of becoming a branch of the Midwest Premier League as well. And right. so they're kind of moving up in their own right or, um, starting to get a little bit more solidified in their own right. So just a lot of good things happening on the Wisconsin side of soccer, um, having a team at the USL two level, that's a lot closer uh, to, to the state and um, you know, not necessarily just Minnesota's team, but more um, you know, being able to reach those communities if they so choose. So um, yeah, a lot of interesting dynamics coming from this and, you know, we'll, uh, we'll be following all of it as it continues. Uh, but we're going to move on and talk about our beloved professional club here in Minnesota, Minnesota United. Um, big week for the Loons. We were talking last week about a uh, terrible, terrible loss that they had to Colorado and if they could recover. Um, and they have bounced back pretty well, um, about as well as you can ask for it, to be honest. One uh, nil win at Austin wasn't pretty, but you get three points on the road. But then you come home and probably the most impressive win of the season for my money. Uh, one of the most impressive wins, I think, in this in this team's MLS history. Uh, three to two home win against Philadelphia. And that's a Philadelphia Union team that hadn't lost since the CONCACAF Champions League semifinals to Club America uh, in uh, on September 15th. And then if you want to track MLS, they haven't they hadn't lost in MLS since September 3rd. Uh, so that's a team who was on a really good roll. I mean, four wins and two losses or four wins and two draws in that, uh, in that run for Philly. Um, they come to Minnesota and yeah, yeah, there was a couple bad giveaways that led to a couple Minnesota United goals, but I think this is a, this is a match that, that the loons earned, earned well-earned three points, um, and a much needed three points, a huge three points as we come down the stretch here. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, um, I, I listened to to uh, postlands for this uh, this match, and and you made a made this point during that, and and you know there were some people debating this back and forth amongst social media, but this union side is really good. I mean, obviously yeah. they lost that game, therefore there is like the initial taste in your mouth that they aren't amazing, but um, mm-hmm. this is a really good side, and I think you pointed out if it weren't for the fact that New England is having like a FIFA hack season, uh, this union side would probably feel like MLS Cup contenders. It's mm-hmm. just the East looks so weird right now with the New England being so good that a lot of these other really strong teams kind of look not great. A 20-point difference between first yeah. and second, Don. That's if crazy. New England's not having the season it's having, all those other teams, the Unions, maybe the Atlantas, maybe the, the NYFCs, et cetera, they probably all have like five, six, seven extra points. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they are one of them is probably top of the table. So, yeah, you know, this is a really good Union side with a lot of good talent. Um, you you could argue in many positions better talent than our than uh, Minnesota United, but the fact that uh, the Loons were able to get get past obviously conceding twice, get past the red card in the second half, 
um, get past a, a number of obstacles and, and just get the goals they needed and defend when they needed to. Uh, it's a really good sign of maturity. One thing I was thinking, you know, they could have lost this game and still made the playoffs. That 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 was still by all means a possibility if if the LAFC game and the Whitecaps game and so on go well. But I think what I liked about this result was it wasn't so much about you know making the playoffs to me. It was about showing that this team actually has the potential to do anything in the playoffs. Yeah, because if they make the playoffs with the way the math's going, they're still going to be a lower seed. They're going to have to play a really good team. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you get beaten up by the union, but do well in those other games and you make it, there's the feeling in the back of my head of like, yeah, but they're probably going to get knocked out right away. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially with the way the Colorado game went. Uh, and, and so this, this union result to me is a really good showing from the loons of like, well, look, we can do well against the top teams. Like we can actually probably make something happen in the playoffs as long as we stay on the road and make it. I think I agree and disagree with you, Dom. I think when this team goes down to one in the second half, they're they're at this sort of crossroads where I was I was thinking about this this morning. I, I like the fact that I can do post loons and get my initial reactions out, but also do this as I've had time to kind of digest things. Um, I think when you get down to one in the second half, the way things are going, the run of form that you've been on in terms of just kind of been cataclysmically bad um aside from the austin game but even a one no win on austin is not all that impressive you get down two one and a half and you're kind of at this this crossroads where you know what just not our year pack it in you know get an early vacation you know or no like screw this like we're we're not done we're not out like we're gonna scratch and claw and do whatever we have to do to grind out a result and keep our hopes alive and keep the confidence alive that we, again, as you mentioned, not only can make the playoffs, but, you know, have the ability to beat any team once we get there. And I think that sort of mentality that like, we're going to punch back. We're going to, to battle back. I think that was, that was the most impressive part to me is, you know, it's, it'd be really easy to sort of fold up the tent and go home when you go down to one in the second half, but they didn't do that. And I think it led to, there weren't a lot of people. I think uh, Minnesota's 11 tweeted that a source told them only 10,000 hit the turnstiles at Allianz field, which I mean, if you look at Minnesota United's history at Allianz field, that would be by far the lowest attended game that the home game that they've had since the doors open there. But that place was still loud, man. When they, when Fragapani puts that goal away to make it three, two, like that place erupted with only about half capacity. And you could just feel kind of that, that confidence coming back, that swagger coming back, that sort of feeling again, that like, no, we're good. Like we have a good team and this team is good, but my problem with this team, and we'll kind of get into the way the table shaking out and stuff is I feel like this team, I said this on post they're very, very fragile where, and we were told, we were told at the beginning of the season, I even bought into this at the beginning of the season, even the early part of the season, that we have established depth. We have guys who aren't going to be in the starting 11 every day, but if they're called upon, they can contribute. When international duty comes and when, when people inevitably pick up knocks and mismatches, we have the guys in place that we can step, they can step in and provide quality and get results. That has not happened. Anytime there has been 
not even a significant absence, but just uh, uh, somebody who is a consistent contributor in the starting 11. Anytime one piece is pulled out of that puzzle, it just seems like everything goes to shit. And it's, it's concerning, but if they can stay healthy, they can beat anybody. <laughs> it's right. just such a weird, like a one thing going wrong can bring the, down the whole house of cards. But if nothing goes wrong, the sky's the limit. And that's just kind of a weird yeah. dynamic to have. Yeah, I, I think that that's one of two things that continue to concern me as sort of a, at the more sort of subtle level about the team, regardless of what goes on in individual matches, is one, your point about depth and your, and your point about uh, how easy it feels it is for things to go wrong. The other, the other thing for me that I was talking to, uh, shout out to my friends Connor. Uh, I was talking to him about during that game, during the the Union game, and actually also I think during the Rapids game. But uh, is it feels like this team still has this need to be the underdog, and it still has this need to, or it still has this. Uh, uh, what's the? It, it, they have to feel like they're the underdog to play well. Like, like it seems like in situations where not everyone's yelling that you're going to lose, they just decide to lose. Like, it, you know, it, it's, and, and it was kind of that way. Uh, it, there, we saw the good version of that uh, last season because that underdog energy just drove them so far into the playoffs. Um, but it just feels like, and, and and before that happened, this was I think sometimes the case. But this season, it feels like there's this assumption. I mean, you really saw the start of the season. There was this assumption that Minnesota was going to be like a top three team in the West, mm-hmm. and there was all this positive energy, all this like, oh, we're going to be so amazing. Confidence. And then just one of the worst starts we've had basically since joining the league happens just yeah. randomly. Um, and even when you look at like how the Union game went versus the Rapids game, well, the Union game is kind of a game you're supposed to lose, and the Rapids game is kind of a game you're supposed to win. And we mm-hmm. looked like a completely different team against the Rapids, 10 men Rapids, but our 10 men looked pretty good against the Union. Like, it, you know, it, yeah. it's, it's this weird energy this team just seems to always have that as, one, as long as we're not supposed to do well, we do pretty well. But as soon as everyone's like, oh, of course Minnesota's going to win, it just falls apart. Um, so I'm still a little concerned about that. You know, if we find ourselves in certain situations heading into playoffs or during the playoffs, depending on how brackets go or whatever, um, just that in situations where we feel like we're supposed to do well, that suddenly something's going to happen. That's a concern I have every time we go into those situations. As soon as expectations reach a certain level, it all of a sudden is just like a switch flips and yeah. Uh, I, I I agree with that. And I did not know. I, I felt that, but I did not know how to articulate it. So thank you so much for doing so. I really <laughs> appreciate it. Um, so in the game against the Union, uh, Adrian Nunu scored a second goal in two matches. Robin Lud and Fragapani obviously each scored uh, the equalizer and go-ahead goal, respectively. Um, now, this is interesting because I went to bed last night. Whitecaps were down 2-0 to Portland. And it looked like Minnesota had like a four-point buffer and Vancouver was going to fall off a little bit. Wake up this morning, in the last 20 minutes, Vancouver scores three goals and gets a 3-2 win. 
on the road. That's only their second road win of the season, Dom. And so yeah. now Minnesota United sixth, but Vancouver seventh. You're one point ahead of Vancouver. You're two points ahead of RSL. RSL's on the outside looking in, but RSL has a game in hand on everybody. And then, oh yeah, there's LAFC sitting there. I believe they're on like 40 points. I believe they're three points back of the loons right now or four points back of the loons. They're three points back of the playoff line, four points back of the loons. But they're still LAFC. Like we know the right. potential of that team. And of course, they're the ones coming to Allianz on Saturday. So this whole Western Conference, I believe it's six points that separates fourth and 10th right now or fourth and ninth. I think it's fourth and ninth. So it's it's just wild, man. And Minnesota's right smack dab in the middle of it. But I was thinking about this because I was like, oh, man, that sucks. Like, they're they're not that clear of the playoff line. Vancouver's breathing down our necks. But because of that Portland loss, all of a sudden, the Loons are two points back of fourth now. <laughs> and so all of a sudden, the home playoff game is sort of back in the picture. Right. And it's just this huge roller coaster that we've been riding all season long. Oh, and four. We just want them to be competitive you know, get a result in 13 straight matches or whatever it is. Oh, this seems pretty good. They can get top three, top four. And then they crash back down again, but now they're coming back up. It's just, it's been this huge roller coaster all season. But to your point, Dom, as soon as we start to reach a certain confidence level, that's when things crash down. And then as soon as we reach rock bottom and we think this team is going to, you know, completely pitter out, that's when they get back on a run. And it's just, oh, it's, it's honestly this is a heck of a year for me to start a Minnesota United postgame show because <laughs> it has been exhausting, but in the most exciting and, and ridiculous way. Yeah. You picked a very interesting year to, to, to put all your eggs in this basket. But yeah. uh, last year probably might've been a little smoother of a ride until the end. You would have had a really weird night that when we lost the Sounders, but um, yeah, you know, it's, it's proving to just be one of those seasons. I mean, like you were, like you were saying, to have LAFC and Vancouver on the same night, almost at the same time, or you know, maybe an hour difference or whatever it ended up being, but to have these big epic comebacks on the road, mm-hmm. it's just like how you know, roll the dice. How often is that even going to happen if you do it a hundred times? Um, but you know, look, that's that's the nature of the beast. This the West the middle of the West conference is extremely competitive and that's probably a good thing for the lead and maybe for Minnesota's uh, playoff hopes, if they make it to have gone through that grind. But uh, yeah, look, those next two games obviously are going to be incredibly important because we were playing, but um, it's not going to be easy and we're, and they're going to have to, they're going to have to fight for every inch of, of playoff birth that they end up earning. Um, I don't, I don't know if, if I'd have it another way though, you know, I, I think to the, I guess the point I was making earlier, I don't know if it's a point, I guess the theory I have about the mentality of Minnesota United, um, maybe that's what we need to do. Maybe that's yeah. how this works. Maybe that's how this team works is they have to do it this way. And that's how they're going to, you know, uh, that's how we do it. You yeah. know, I know that's a, that's a silly like sports analysis thing to say but but i to a certain degree that's what history is showing me is that this is what this team does when things are going well or or when the end result is good is to do this sort of grinding mishmash get out of it and then be in a good position to have some fun in the postseason and so maybe that's you know maybe that's just what we have to accept 
but you know, all that, all that being said, jokes being said, they, they have a very serious mission ahead of them with LAFC and the, and the Whitecaps in the next couple of matches. They need to yeah. do that. The, the point I made, the whatever episode it was, where if we don't make the playoffs, this is a huge disappointment and Heath's seat needs to be as hot as possible. That still exists regardless of the heroics of the last two games. Um, mm. If all of this great stuff happens against Austin and the Union and then we still end up flopping because we lose the next two games, you know, he, he, he gets no extra credit points for me no. just because we had a good result against the Union. So, you know, they, they need to take this very seriously. The underdog stuff is kind of fun to joke about. I have fun joking about it constantly. But at a certain point, you know, the people actually being the paid to handle the situation need to just handle the situation. Um, so, so we'll, we'll see what happens. But I, I'm not, I'm not, I mean, not that I can, but I'm not betting on any outcome for any of this because it's, it's just too chaotic. <laughs> yeah, I think if you can get four points out of the next week, you will be sitting very, very pretty. Yeah um heading into those last two matches but um and, and those last two matches aren't easy either you host skc and then you go to la galaxy so this is a kind of a uh i wouldn't call it a murderer's row but it's it's four matches against quality competition to end the season and you need to you need to find a way to get results and and probably three of them and at least two of those results probably need to be a win uh so that's that's where you're at from minnesota things aren't getting easier but it's going to be an exciting end of the season that's for sure um so i'm officially starting a segment dom sorry i didn't run this by you first uh we're gonna do our struggle bus of the week okay because there's one very obvious one this week and that is bally yeah. sports north <laughs> i i'm not going to go on the same tangent now that i went on on post loons you want to go check out posts and something about 20 minutes 25 minutes into the stream i i i went on what was someone called on twitter to be an epic tangent about <laughs> sports north that's not my words it's somebody else's but um it was very very frustrating so i didn't get to see this match until the 55th minute i don't know if that was when the the game came back on but i couldn't watch minnesota united so i turned it over and watched forward madison for a while which was exciting. I got to see two goals. So it was great. But this is becoming almost a theme. Like this is not just a one-off. It's not just a two-off. This is, I believe, the fourth time this season that we, anybody watching the online stream on Value Sports North has not seen opening kick. There have been times where they have gotten it handled within the first 10 minutes. There are times where they've gotten it handled before the halftime. But last night, it was at least the early portion of the second half before things got back underway. Like I said, I turned it back over at the 55th minute. And I was finally able to watch. I host a post game show. Like <laughs> I, I can't go 55 minutes, not watching the match. Right. It's it's, I don't know, man. It is yeah. it's pretty wild that we're at a point where we're talking about, you know, everything going on in the field, but then like, there's this underlying thing about like Minnesota United is kind of being failed by their broadcast partner. Like it's not even a conversation we should be having, but here we are. Yeah, and you know, there's um at, at a national level, there's a discussion really every every season amongst various people about just you know whether they like the current setup for streaming MLS with you know obviously you have ESPN Plus, but then if you are in the region, if you're in the market, obviously you have to use the the other source. And there's discussions about that every year. And and I don't necessarily feel one way or the other about it. 
But I do think it's important when those discussions happen. And, and the end result is, of course, that we do have, you know, the, the local market deals where you, you watch through this other source when it's your team. Uh, it's important when you have those discussions and you're defending that system that you then note that some of those channels, whether it be in this Valley Sports North this year, I know other providers for other teams have had issues, various points over the last couple of seasons. You have to note that they're not necessarily doing a great job. Um, Mm-hmm. And and I know you you've brought up you know the idea of the teams having their own uh, systems to, for streaming and and that could potentially be a solution. Obviously, they'd have more invested interest in in making that a good quality product. But uh, yeah, I, I think those discussions need to continue to happen. It doesn't really seem like we're in a good place right now because realistically, for the average person to be paying for so many different platforms or or you know cable or whatever the setup is to get all these different sources. Um, to be doing all that and then know that at least one or two of the things you're paying for isn't even really going to do its job yeah. uh, in the time we're living in where people are already having a lot to think about and deal with financially. It's, re- it's a ridiculous thing to ask of people just to watch a soccer game. Yeah. Um, 100%. And so, yeah, look, you know, with, with all credit to probably the people at Bali Sports North that are trying to make it work, um, the way this is all going doesn't make a lot of sense. And it doesn't make a lot of sense to ask people to continue to pay for it. So you know, the Minnesota, but also I think really nationally, this is a conversation that goes on in a lot of places. There needs mm-hmm. to be a lot more exploration for a, a better system to just let people watch the damn game. It's, and, and soccer is really where this becomes the issue, uh, not just here in Minnesota, but nationwide, because soccer is always the one to get preempted. It's always the one to get kicked to Bally Sports Plus or insert channel here plus when there's, uh, Major League Baseball game, uh, NBA game, or an NHL game. Like those will always take precedent. And I understand that from a viewership standpoint. But I do think that the clubs themselves need to take a look in the mirror and say, do we want to be the redheaded stepchild of this network? Do we want to keep doing this? Because, and, and that's another thing that, that provides the opportunity for MLS too, because they do not get, they're not financial invested or they're not financially boosted enough by these networks to feel attached in any way shape or form like minnesota united is not making much if any money from valley sports north to have their games on valley sports north i know that for a fact it is a place for people to see your games it's a place for you know you to build your brand show off your merch value add for the sponsors that you have on board things like that but you're really not making any money from the network itself you can do all those other things by when you produce the match yourself right or you could find probably uh you know how many local channels are there like you could find another one to broadcast the games right i mean there were we have cw twin cities who broadcast all the home matches why not put all your matches on cw twin cities right but and Christopher Clark on Twitter, shout out to him. He um, he let me know that DC United are sort of, I guess, dipping their toe in the self-produced broadcast realm, where their home matches are available on their website or through their app, which is cool. They had some technical difficulties evidently at the beginning. Anytime you try something new, there's going to be sort of growing pains there. But you know, that's something that can be done. The biggest, I guess model for this as much as i hate them because i'm a st louis cardinals fan is the chicago cubs 
So this year, they, uh, their NBC Sports Chicago, which is the Valley Sports North of Chicago, um, they none, they don't air any Cubs games anymore. WGN doesn't air any Cubs games anymore. All the Cubs games are on a channel called Marquee Network, which is owned by guess who? The Chicago Cubs. It's all Cubs content all the time. Now that is. 15 levels above what I'm asking for from Minnesota United, but it sort of has that baseline model of we're just going to do this ourselves. We're going to keep everything in house and we're going to do these broadcasts ourselves. So it's being done. And I think soccer MLS specifically is the league that could benefit most from trying at some level to commit to that kind of model. Yeah, no, I agree. And I mean, realistically at most people that are paying for all these different ways to watch MLS are mostly watching for their team. I mean, it's not, they're, they're, there's, they're paying to watch how many teams are in MLS now. I mean, it's like, you know, 30 something. Um, they're not, they're not paying to watch all of those other teams. They're, you know, they, at the end of the day, they probably just want to watch Minnesota United. So if, if you just offer them a way to do that, a reliable way to just always be able to watch Minnesota United away and, and at home, I think that'd just be so much easier to sell to people. I think a ton of people would, would pay for it. Um, I, I agree. So hopefully, hopefully the, cause you know, there really was a lot of attention on this incident that happened with this game. Um, maybe more than in the past, partly probably because just how much of the game was lost. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, hopefully those incidents at least prompt some sort of conversation, whether or not it's a conversation for what you're suggesting, I don't know, but at least a conversation with Bali Sports North or whatever about about the the state of the of the broadcast, because something needs yeah. to be changed. Because I mean, this is just a, it's silly, it's silly for this to be happening at a professional level of any sport, um, but mm-hmm. certainly a rising brand that just got a new stadium and all this other stuff. Like it's it, you know inexcusable. Yeah, it's it's you want to be seen as legitimate, and a lot of casual sports fans, at least in this day and age, don't see soccer as a legitimate sports in this sport in this country. And and incidents like last night. I don't want to say it's hard to blame them, but it sort of fuels that fuels that argument a little bit. And that's definitely not something you want to do here in 2021. When, when soccer is on the upswing, you want to capitalize on that, not, not do anything that's going to take a few steps back. Um, That's enough loons talk where you have a lot of other topics to get to Um, post loons will be back on your, uh, on your feed, on your YouTube, on your Twitter and your ears uh, Saturday night after the match against LAFC. Uh, let's talk high school soccer. So we're getting into the, uh, the nitty gritty here of the high school season, Dom. And as we get further in the playoffs, we'll be talking in more specifics about this. Uh, but sectional titles are, uh, are being one secured around the state as the men's and, or excuse me, the, the girls and boys state tournaments, um, are approaching, um, quarterfinals, October 26th through 28th. And then the semifinals, which will be at U.S. Bank Stadium, are November 3rd. So um, a lot of exciting stuff happening over the next couple of weeks as we get further into, uh, into, into boys' and girls' postseason soccer here in, on, in the high school ranks. And obviously over the next couple of weeks here on 10K, we'll be able to bring more specific results and, and teams and, and, and stuff like that. But really exciting time for, for high school soccer as well. I mean, this is not something we got last year because of – of the pandemic 
So this is kind of a, again, continuing a return to normalcy. And obviously the semifinals and state championships at U.S. Bank Stadium are, are such an exciting event in and of themselves. One of the, I'd say one of the premier soccer events in the state over the course of the entire year. Um, and, and we're getting closer to the, to a return of that, which is, which is really exciting. Yeah. And, uh, it's a great that you, you noted obviously last season or last year, uh, teams won their sectional titles, but then they weren't able to, to carry that on into a, a state tournament where they got to, you know, showcase their talent at a, at a bigger stage. So really great mm-hmm. for all these schools, um, obviously from all over the state, uh, up, up here, you know, some, pretty small communities are going to be able to be represented at that level. There was, you know, uh, teams from Proctor and uh, uh, Cloquet, Esco, Carlton is a combined team. Um, you know, they, they upset uh, Duluth, Denfeld, big game, you know, having, having those sorts of communities have a chance to be represented potentially at even a stage like U.S. Bank Stadium is a, is a, is a great opportunity. It's, it's what high school soccer is supposed to be all about. And, uh, you know, Obviously, it's fun to have, you know, high school kids get to have fun. But also, you know, these students could end up having great college careers. They could end up being playing for some of these MPSL or USO League 2 teams now that we're all talking about. And uh, mm-hmm. every now and then, some of these kids end up being real, real talents that are going to have an impact. So hopefully, yeah. uh, hopefully we see some of the starts of that uh, this weekend or this next coming week, rather. Absolutely. So we will keep an eye on that. And. Uh, keep you posted with uh, you know all the all the latest stuff as we get down to the nitty gritty. Like I said, with the state tournament quarterfinals happening next weekend. Uh, now let's go to the college pitch. Uh, big week for the Gophers. We talked about about a big week for the Loons. How about the Gophers? Five nil over Illinois last Thursday. We kind of talked about how they were four nil at half, and then a one nil road win against Northwestern on the weekend. Two big wins as the Gophers are battling for a Big Ten tournament position, currently seventh in the uh, in the Big Ten table. Um, but with a really strong finish, they could finish as high as fourth. But uh, do want to talk about the big weeks from Mackenzie Lingdock. Um, goals in both matches, including a goal that was number seven on SC top ten uh, on the top ten place. Very very cool. Um, if you haven't seen Mackenzie Langdock's goal against Illinois, you need to go check it out. Just an, an absolute banger. Um, and then she scores again uh, in the 1-0 win against Northwestern. And, of course, Megan Plachko, two more clean sheets. That's nine on the season for her. Uh, pretty pretty awesome stuff. Uh, obviously, Langdock and Plachko have both received numerous weekly accolades, monthly accolades from the Big Ten this season, well-deserved, and they're just continuing that quality and and what is a becoming a huge stretch for the Gophers because they've had a great season, but they still kind of find themselves on the bubble in terms of Big Ten tournament positioning. Yeah, and I mean it's it's really you know we've been talking about some of some of the individual and team progress of this of this side now for a couple episodes, but as it continues to develop, it's really exciting to see obviously the way the group is going, but to see some individuals really step up the way that that uh, Landoc and, and Plachko have and, and other players that we've highlighted in the past, uh, you know, to have that kind of talent in the state uh, is, is a unique opportunity. That's an exciting thing that not every college, not every state even always gets to be excited about. Um, so, you know, at a personal level, I'm really interested to see like, what are the next five years of these 
players look like if they if they try to do something beyond college or um or 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 whatever path they take but certainly for the rest of their college career at least um yeah i mean just just really really cool to see uh talents like that shining and maybe providing some inspiration for the next generation of of uh girls going into women's soccer uh which i i have to imagine is having considering how many people are going to the games um a lot of people watching them so hopefully some people are getting inspired but yeah and, and again hopefully they get to do that at a bigger level if they if they get a good postseason yeah and uh unfortunately um gophers played tonight as we're recording and it was a one nil loss in iowa city for them so um you're heading into the last match of the season against nebraska uh that i think that four seed is probably a little bit out of the question now uh as we as we know the result from tonight but I mean, so so you won't get to host a Big Ten tournament match. So that's kind of why that four seed was sort of kind of the the threshold that you want to try to reach so you could host a Big Ten tournament match because we know how big uh, the support has been for the Gophers at Elizabeth Law Robbie Stadium. I can only imagine what that would be like to host in a in a Big Ten tournament sort of postseason environment. Uh, unfortunately, it looks like that won't happen. But we know the quality of this team. We know offensively. You know what what Long Doc and and Ken Obisman and and this this front line can do. We know the quality they have in goal with Megan Plachko. Um, you know, all around when they can put it together, this is a Gopher team that I think can beat anybody in the Big Ten. You know, I don't know how they stack up nationwide. You know, because that's a whole I don't I don't know anything about. I mean, I haven't really paid attention to either men's or women's soccer from a national perspective. I really just kind of focus on the Big Ten and what happens here locally but i know that they can compete with anybody in the big 10 um and if they can do that then you know you're talking about an ncaa tournament berth and at that point anything can happen so it's not just because they're not going to host a big 10 tournament match does not mean that all is lost for the gophers the potential is there it's just putting it all together at the right time and look, you know, we, we've talked a lot about uh, Coach Chastain, obviously still getting getting used to this position. Um, and, and that all of that is obviously the challenge that she has to, to take up and continue to work on. But, uh, you know, I think people should be hopeful because as we talked about in previous episodes, she's she's been really impressive this season. She's obviously got a really good group doing a lot of good things. Um, so I, I wouldn't put it past her to, you know, get things in order and, and still manage to, to keep the season exciting for uh, – for whatever comes after the the conference, you know, games are wrapped up and whatever the uh, the tournament brings. Absolutely. All right, so let's uh, let's go over to the other D one women's side here in Minnesota. St. Thomas got their first conference win. Um, that is big. Um, they're the you know we mentioned they they're making the jump too, right? Um, so they're competing in the Summit League as well, along with the men, and they get um, the first D one conference win in school history, which is a pretty cool. Um, accomplishment. Um, pretty historic there as they edge Western Illinois 1-0 on Sunday. Uh, freshman Marley Marley Bertignoli uh, from Eden Prairie with the 62nd minute game winner. Her first goal of the season. Uh, pretty good time for it. And just another freshman who is contributing for St. Thomas. And that only means good things as, as you move forward, right? Because that's kind of the progression that you want to take is you know, you want to make you want to bring people in who can compete at the D1 level and hope that they continue to progress into the players by the time they're a junior and senior that can help you put more than a few wins together 
and be super hyper competitive. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times there, or not a lot of times, but there are times where you hear coaches or programs talking about uh, development and, and, and long-term planning, but then sometimes the rosters or the squads don't always quite match that. And there's questions left. Um, I, it's really encouraging that we aren't seeing that with, with St. Thomas, especially, you know, we've highlighted with the women's side, multiple freshmen that have uh, shown really well for them that, you know, that's, realistically that what that's what you have to have be the mission for this program right now you're not expecting to be one of the most competitive sides this is a long game thing that they're working on uh you don't really get that out of your squad unless they're young so mm-hmm. uh yeah having you know i'm i think last episode we were talking again about uh one or two freshmen that were shining well for them that's really encouraging even aside from the results obviously the fact that they actually won is is great uh and looks mm-hmm. better from a statistical standpoint but uh, you know we've talked many times now about how realistically the the win loss draw uh, rates for the team for this season are not necessarily going to be what's most important. Uh, what's going to be important is is the development that they get rolling. So yeah, great that great that she was able to to help them get that history for that for this game against Western Illinois. But also just great to see another another player that we can hopefully expect to to be much more developed as an athlete in like two years shine for this mm-hmm. uh, for this team yeah absolutely and uh a lot of these seasons are coming down the stretch here i believe the tommies have four four games left in their season four or five games left so um plenty of time to finish off the season on a high note um as you know what has been a pretty successful first season i mean you have i believe four total wins on the season now uh with that with that first conference win so definitely something to build off of for for St. Thomas on the women's side for sure. But we're going to go uh our to our spotlights this week and I uh, made it pretty easy on us Dom here in the notes. We're, uh, we're going to do the St. Cloud men and women. Uh the women competing in the NSIC, the men in their first D2 season over in the uh, the GLIAC. Um and St. Cloud State has put together a few conference wins on the men's side in their first uh in their first season. Um one of those wins was recently as they doubled up Purdue University Northwest 4 to 2. Most recently, though, they did fall to Davenport 1-0 this past week. Um, that brings their GLIAC record to 3-6. and six. Again, first season in D2. That's nothing to be ashamed of. Um, but talk about freshmen contributing. Freshman Andres Garcia has been the one leading for, uh, the Huskies. He's from Austin, Minnesota. Uh, eight goals on the year. And in early November, or excuse me, early October, wow, early October, he scored five in a three-game span. Uh, so a guy that can really, really put it together. Also leading the fray though, for, for the Huskies are joy, the people products, Emmanuel Eway, who we have mentioned on this podcast before, as well as Zinedine Creighton, um, Eway has six goals and four assists on the year, Creighton three goals and two assists. So, um, a lot of local flavor, um, helping the Huskies in their first D2 season for sure. Yeah. And again, that's, you know, that's what you want to see. You want to see, uh, while, while you want in general to see that look into development with the jump to D2 and that long-term planning. Uh, you also want all of that to incorporate local talent and to have a positive impact on the community. Uh, and, and so seeing these guys, uh, some of which we, we saw quite a bit of in the NPSL this, this summer, seeing them shine. Uh, it's not surprising. You know, the, the fact that for instance, Eway is doing as well as he's doing, it does not surprise me at all given, how how fantastic he was to watch this summer, but uh, seeing them 
shine at the D2 level. It's only good for, for their careers. Um, mm-hmm. But it's also, you know, it, it's a sign that St. Cloud's thinking of it the right way. They're thinking of it in a way that's going to benefit Minnesota soccer players as much as their reputation as a D2 school. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, next up for the Huskies on the men's side in Michigan to take on Saginaw, Saginaw, wow. Saginaw Valley State. Uh, that's today for listening on Friday for a 3 p.m. kickoff there. On the women's side um, in the NSIC, the Huskies just about a week ago, two weeks ago, they were right in the mix. But three straight losses, unfortunately, sort of dropping them out of the conference title race. Uh, 3-0 to conference leaders Bemidji State. 1-0 loss to MSU Mankato. And then a 2-1 defeat to Concordia St. Paul. That drops them to 3-4-2 and two in conference play. So if you do the math, they were 3-1-2 and two before this stretch, which obviously put them in pretty good standing in the table. Um, but even with the, uh, the downturn in... Uh, in their in their conference title hopes um a couple seniors have been leading the way for the huskies uh, nicole frillis and carly valdez each with a team best three goals and two assists on the year so they're getting good contribution unfortunately while it did look like they were right in the hunt they have sort of dropped out but five games left obviously still some time to as we mentioned with with the tommies and the season on a high note you have the opportunity to do that yeah, and you know we talked, we've talked the whole season about how good Bemidji is, and so the fact that mm-hmm. that that's the biggest loss of the three, and and probably the one that impacts the tight the top of the table race most, is, you know, shouldn't be too disappointing uh, to lose to a good side. But uh, yeah, look, you know, we 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 talk about with, with college soccer, we certainly talk about with other forms of of the sport. Those little runs are so important, and and things can change yeah. so quickly. Um, as we talked in length about with Minnesota United, but, but yeah, you know, look, unfortunately those three losses definitely make it very hard for the season to end it the way they probably wanted it to. But yeah. uh, at the same time, you're, you're trying to develop this program. Uh, you're going to have to try to make the most of the leadership your seniors are providing and get yourself into a good position to at least end the year well and start the next season on a good note um, where some of those players might not, you know, obviously be around. But uh, but that's the challenge of the game. Uh, that's certainly the challenge they signed up for with with moving to D two. So uh, it, it'll it'll be interesting to see how how they wrap things up uh, these last couple of games if they can at least get some form back um, and end on a good note. All right, you know what always leaves you on a good note <laughs> is wearing some of the fine athleisure apparel that's coming down the pipe from our friends over. At Stimulus Athletic, ran by Jason Mora, Minnesota soccer legend Jason Mora. Um, after his playing career was over, actually, he actually told us, like, during his playing career, during the latter portion of his playing career, he was kind of put together the pieces for Stimulus Athletic. Uh, basically, he found that a lot of teams, a lot of clubs, don't have access to quality game gear and apparel or affordable access to quality game gear and apparel. So Jason took it upon himself to sort of take on that challenge. And he has put together Stimulus Athletic, which offers quality game gear and apparel to so many different clubs. And they do so at very affordable prices. We talk, I mean, we talk about every week. I mean, it's not, this isn't sort of the, uh, the, the, you know, the, the cut rate teams balling on a budget type, type, you know, uniform supplier. I mean, Minneapolis City, 
we're stimulus athletic joy the people who we talked about wore stimulus athletic this season uh valora fc wore stimulus athletic this season national teams were stimulus athletic the american outlaws trust stimulus athletic for all of their sort of uh usa based themed kits that they provide and we know how damn good those things look so you're you're dealing with quality with stimulus athletic and you're dealing with uh you know a group of people who know what they're doing and have done this for very very prominent teams clubs organizations and they can help you out as well however big or small your team or club is stimulus athletic can help you out just just talk to them it's free to just talk to them and, and see if they're the right fit for you so i implore you to do so now is the time where you should be thinking about especially if you start earlier in the spring who is going to outfit your club next season you need to get ahead of that stuff because it comes up quick so now's the time where if you don't really have it locked down or you're maybe looking to make a change you're looking to maybe make an upgrade to how your kits look and feel uh, give Stimulus Athletic a shot. I promise you they'll impress the hell out of you. They did with us with the 10K kit last summer. And uh, it's uh, it's really, really cool. And we have a lot of good stuff coming down the pipe with them as well. So uh, stimulusathletic.com, click that design tab, click that get started button. Make sure you let them know that Jeremy from 10,000 Pitches sent you. Um, I'm not gonna lie, Dominic. I, uh, I'm not wearing any apparel right now, but today we mentioned it was a little bit cold today, right? Mm -hmm. um i met up with jason for lunch a couple weeks ago and he gave me some stimulus athletic socks now i don't play soccer so when i initially got the socks i'm like what am i gonna do with these oh man they came in handy this morning when i left out the door my feet were warm and toasty in those stimulus athletic socks so and they were super comfortable too i wore them all day i barely even noticed they were on my feet it's fantastic stuff so um, just a, just a minor thing there, but stimulusathletic.com head there, uh, click that get started button and tell them that Jeremy and Dom from 10 K sent you over there. And Dom, I promise you, your, uh, your apparel is, is in route. It's in the no, mail. Good. So uh, you'll it's get that exciting. soon. Yes. All right. So wrapping up our college soccer discussion here, uh, UW superior beating Scholastica. This is the first of kind of the non-conference rivalry between these two teams. Uh, two to one, the final on that one. They're calling it the golden anchor. I love that. That's yeah. a really cool name. And they made a, they made out. like a little, you know, metal. I was going to ask you if there was actually anchor. a trophy to go along yeah. with it. The, the, I, I guess my understanding is that the, the two women's programs for the respective schools, you know, came together to organize this. Um, interestingly enough, it hasn't quite transitioned to the men's thing that happened later, but uh but yeah, they they just kind of I don't quite know the full scale of it, but it, you know it looked like maybe maybe half a foot or something. Um, this gold anchor that was obviously awarded to UWS for winning. Yeah, it's really cool that uh, they're trying to find ways to keep that rivalry interesting and alive. It was it was such a big part of the soccer scene up here uh, for for a number of years, and obviously CSS moving to, to the Mayak means that it's no longer a conference rivalry. Um, which, you know, makes you wonder how it's going to look in, in the future. But they're, they're definitely keeping it alive. They obviously made sure to play each other still. Um, and uh, I hope that the Golden Anchor branding expands to, to the men's side as well and kind of becomes the, the, the imagery of it. It's been called the Battle of the Bridges or the Battle of the Bridge from time to time, but kind of an unofficial Twitter sense, not really in a, in, in a metal 
in a, a trophy sense. So yeah, it's, it's we've good seen to see it them. over on the Wisconsin side though with Hayward and Bateau. Unofficial Twitter <laughs> hashtags can actually become legitimate derby names and trophies. So, That's and I do true. think honestly to that point though, I think the men should sort of come up with their own thing. Yeah, maybe. I don't know if it should be the golden anchor for both the men and women. So that's fair. Maybe Battle of the Bridge is, is what the men call it. But they need to yeah, start making cool. a, a bridge trophy, though. They have to they have to even out the, the level of effort into the trophy. That's what I'm saying. Absolutely. So. You need to have the trophy. I mean, if if Bateau yeah. and Hayward can string together a golden connect four trophy, <laughs> uh, I think yeah, you know, exactly. yes, yes, on the men's side can come up with something cool. But uh yeah, so uh, UWS clinches a playoff berth with the win, um, uh, or excuse me, not with the win over Scholastica. They beat Bethany Lutheran. Um, and we talked about a few episodes back, kind of the battle at the top of the table there uh, between those two sides this season. Um, and on the men's side, UWS beat CSS 3-1 to one a few days later, um, and UWS trying to keep pace at the top of the, uh, of the men's table there in the UMAC as well. So um, a lot of uh, a lot of good stuff happening on both sides of the uh, both Minnesota and Wisconsin um, on the co- in the college scene at all levels. Um, but yeah, cool to see though the UWS and CSS matches taking place, even though they're not in the same conference. And final topic here before we get into some fun stuff, uh, Ike Opara. We heard from Ike Opara via Twitter. Uh, he he took a little break. Uh, and you know, credit to him for doing what he has to do. Um, but he returned to Twitter. He was about a, a, a about a year of silence. He went on, um, I believe it was the uh, oh man, I can't remember now whose podcast it was. Uh, gosh, I think he's like a sports anchor for uh, KSTP here in Minneapolis. But anyways, yeah, silly, but um, yeah. so he went. Yeah. Yeah, so he went on a he he's been on a podcast before. He actually went on he, he's not co-hosting his own podcast anymore, uh, but he was a guest on that podcast. Had some surface level things to say about his absence. Um, Adrian Heath has since commented that it was indeed concussion related as to why he missed a lot of the 2020 season, and why the team ultimately decided uh, to exercise their 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 sort of. Um, or not exercise their option, I believe, uh, on him um, and basically cut him loose uh, this season. And uh, he basically tweeted, quote, let's dust this thing off. So what did I miss? Obviously got a lot of immediate comments and interest. Um, Somebody asked him, though, the question we were all asking is, where have you been? And he responded saying, quote, quite literally Helen back. In due time, when I'm comfortable, I'll share the entire story, which will and then he used the blow your mind emoji. I'm very interested to hear this story. Yeah. Um, I, I'm glad he's doing okay, especially now on the other end where we know he's doing all right. right. I'm very interested now to hear kind of the, the story of these last couple of years because it's it's probably quite the quite the tale, I would have to say. Yeah, and you know, I think uh it's probably gonna be a story that that's going to be important um for us you know, understanding soccer players. I mean, you know, the fact is that uh, the issue of concussions often kind of goes under the radar in, in soccer only because it's a slightly less explosive sport in terms of, you know, tackling each other to the ground like you do in American football. Um, but, you know, 
it's an issue. Um, obviously, there's a lot of heading the ball and, and, and other situations that, that can injure um, the head So cause and cause concussions. So, you know, look, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what his journey has been and, and maybe what we can learn about that for the future of, of folks that play this sport, especially at the professional level. Um, and, it'll, you know, we might learn a thing or two that we like or don't like about about Minnesota United. We'll see what, what that all sounds like. But um, definitely, definitely going to be interesting to see, you know, whatever format he chooses to kind of explain or tell that story. Uh, but, yeah, like you said, the, the big thing here is just that we continue to see that he's, going to, he's okay. Um, he didn't necessarily play – uh, the amount of matches I've, he probably planned on for Minnesota United, but he was still certainly a big part of this team the time he was playing, and uh, he certainly deserves our uh, our our attention and our thoughts for that. So it's good to see that he's okay, and hopefully at some point he feels comfortable talking about about what has happened. Yeah, and uh, again, obviously he'll he'll tell it when he's comfortable as he should. Um, uh, but I am. I'm very, very interested to hear that, hear that conversation and hear that story. So, um, yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully we, we actually get to hear that. Um, all right. So we're going to do something fun here at the end, Tom, uh, or at the end, I I just called you Tom. I don't know why I just called you Tom. That's okay. Dom, (laughs) uh, we're going to do some fun stuff here at the end. Uh, we, and, uh, we're going to wrap things up with our interview with Sydney Warden after this. So stick around, uh, for that, but, uh, new segment. We've kind of tiptoed around this kind of segment in the last couple of weeks. We're going to make it official. So soccer, you know, especially European soccer is all about like finishing in the top four, top four. Right. And there's a lot of podcasts and radio shows and stuff to do like top five type segments. So we're going to take that idea, make it top four because it's more soccer related. So the segment is top four. In the past, we've talked about our top four were sports losses as fans. Um, this week we're going to talk about our top four most memorable sports wins as fans, victories coming out on top, basically the exact opposite of what we talked about last week, because Minnesota followed up one of the worst losses in their MLS history with one of the best losses in their, or one of the best wins in MLS history, beating Philadelphia union. So it makes sense to kind of go the opposite route this week. So and I have on, on here, we're going to do three that are soccer related and one that is not. Um, so I don't know, Dom, do you want to go first? Or do you want me to go first? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll go first. Uh, okay. Right away, uh, uh, one that pops into my head, this will probably be my one international uh, soccer uh, example, uh, is uh, I guess this would have been at the end of 2017. Um, it was uh, Venezuela beat Paraguay on the road, 1-0 World Cup qualifier. Last round of World Cup qualifying, we were already way gone not qualifying. And we basically spoiled the party for, for Paraguay. Really late goal. I don't think it was in extra time, but it was like 85th minute. Yanel Herrera, who at the time was playing for NYCFC, um, substitute sends it into the box. He gets onto it, slaps in, and there's a full stadium who are all extremely angry. There had been like a fight 10 minutes earlier on the pitch. <laughs> and he does, he just does the old hands behind the ears, amplify the booze, yeah. running around. They also 
it, it was just, you know, when, that was a really rough qualifying campaign. And it felt so good to like get to be the one that was spoiling the party for someone else after like five international breaks of people spoiling it for us. Um, yeah. And he was, you know, he was a very young up, up and coming talent at the time. So just seeing him embrace that moment like that was, was really fun. And uh, yeah, I, I, I always remember watching that game. I, I had to pay to watch it on YouTube and I just watched it at, at UMD with my headphones while everyone around me was very confused about what I was doing. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, my first one is also international, but of course it's the U S men's national team. Um, and of course, when you think of U S men's national teams and recent big wins, big moments, you think of Landon Donovan scoring against Algeria in the 2010 world cup to send the U S men's national team to the knockout rounds. Uh, they had not won a match in the group stage up to that point. They needed to get three points against Algeria to secure their spot in the knockout rounds. Uh, very, very late in the match. It's nil-nil. It's not looking good. And then suddenly, full sprint counterattack. This is just beautiful. And uh, basically on a full sprint, Donovan puts it in the back of the net, and he just, the place, uh, uh, Ameri- the whole United States goes nuts. He goes nuts. The team goes nuts. It was just one of the best moments I can remember as a U.S. men's national team fan. Just pure, pure elation coming from that goal. I feel like a lot of other people feel the same way, too. That's oh, kind of yeah. always the one that people people call back to. For sure. That's that's like a legendary moment, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. My next one. This will be, this will be my one Minnesota United one. Um, was uh and and, it, and it's particularly because i i happened to be there that's probably why i remember it more more especially but um was the 4-2 win over rsl first ever mls win um mm-hmm. at tcf we had you know now infamously started very poorly i had like a, a draw or two during our first several games otherwise we were getting blown out repeatedly obviously there was the snow opener and the Stitzman lost to atlanta and uh Returned home. I think we had, I want to say we had just gotten a road point against Colorado and uh, playing RSL, who also had a kind of rough year that, that year they start like first 10 minutes, they score. It's like, Oh man, it's going to be another one. Yeah. Here we and go then, again. Yeah. I mean, it was literally, we're all sitting in the stadium like, Oh, okay. Well, I guess we're just going to have this happen again. And all of a sudden Christian Ramirez starts firing off. Kevin Molino's having a good game. Johan Venegas had a pretty good game. And, uh, and, you know, at one point it was 4-1 towards the end, and then, and then RSL got a late goal. Um, but it was such a good time. It felt so weird at the time to be doing well. And it was we – we have been doing poorly enough. This was early enough that when we won, a lot of people didn't understand what the Wonderwall thing was. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A lot people haven't had experienced it yet. Yeah, because we had a lot of new fans, because MLS. So a lot of them yeah. didn't really understand what was going on. Um, but it was a good time and, and it was, it was a late game. So it was cold and dark mm. and, you know, it just felt really good to, to get, have something to have that win and to do it in a really like d- definitive way. I mean, basically up until the last minute when they, they, when RSL scored the second goal, it was basically a blowout for one. Yeah. Um, yeah. So just, I, I, I always have memories of that game. Pro- probably one of my top Minnesota United memories overall as well. Awesome. 
Uh, well, I'll stick with the theme. My my second one is also Minnesota United related. There were there were two moments in 2019 that I was going back and forth on for this one. And I'll give the other one an honorable mention. But I have to go with the uh, playoff clinching win over SKC in 2019. Hassani Dotson scoring a late, late, and again, a late, late winner. Uh, you know, th- those moments, man, that particular moment, I, I was at the game, this went nuts, but like going back and listening to Cal's call of that goal, <laughs> it's like goosebumps every single time. It's just amazing to know that, like, 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 like the and people, people like, you know, they joke about the three-year plan, but like actually that kind of came to fruition. And uh, in, in the way that it did, just the drama behind it, it's SKC, right? Uh, yeah. and, and just getting that late winner to, to clinch a playoff was, was just so awesome. And when I think of, of memorable Minnesota United wins, that's always the first one that pops in my head. For sure. Cal had so many good calls that year. I remember it's really – I don't even know why yeah. I remember. So the goal in the end wasn't that big. But um, I think it's because I have like a uh, – I just have a love for Abu Dinladi just because of the, the memories from the first season. But that season was his last with us. And he scored an equalizer like right at the end of the game against Orlando at home. They had scored a penalty in like the 80th minute or the 75th minute. So, you know, it looked like there's going to be a rough night. He scored a last minute equalizer. And Cal, I'm not going to try like impersonate it, but he basically did it. He just screamed at the top of the lens like, remember him? Remember? You know, it was like, it was just like this amazing moment for Delati who had kind of, disappeared a little bit from the picture for us i always remember that it's not one of my it's not one of my wins because we didn't win but um but yeah i, I always finally remember that call um okay uh my my third soccer one will be uh this is like painfully easy to expect probably for, from our listeners but it's gonna be a duluth one um it's gonna be uh it's gonna be the midwest um regional title win and on penalties just because that whole trip which you know i guess i wasn't a fan because i was there with the team but uh it was just so wild that game i i don't want to make this episode three hours long but there were just so many things going on we had injured player that we thought we might have to send our backup keeper on to cover for because we used all our subs and then so he had to go into the locker room and change into a player uh, a uh, on field or outfield uh, jersey and then it came on and the player decided to play on on the injury. So then he had to go back and switch to his goalkeeper uniform because he had to sub in for the shootout, which he blocked multiple penalties and won us the title oh with. God. It was like, oh. and I was doing the substitution slips because our our, our um, assistant coach wasn't there. So I'm managing all this and I, oh I was God. extremely stressed out. It was just a good time. Um, so that was really fun. I mean, I'll forever remember that trip and and, and winning that that trophy. So. Just, just a lot of we. One of our defenders ate chicken tenders for for lunch before the game, which we all thought was the stupidest idea ever. But he had a fantastic game. So um, then he had to eat chicken tenders every match. Yeah, from there on it's now. just his thing now. I, I guess, I guess yeah. it's just what he does for his pregame. But anyways, just that was just it was you know a, a great trip that I'll remember forever. So that that when that uh, I think it was three three uh, after uh, AET and then penalties we won through uh, Liam Morris for the last one. So. Nice. Great night. 
All right, I got a final or a final soccer one here, and it's back to the U.S. men's national team. And this is mainly because of of kind of the 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 group of people I was with when we watched this match. So ahead of the 2014 World Cup, I joined the American Outlaws sports group. I actually still am a proud member of the American Outlaws. Um, and we got like a an unofficial chapter together back in my home hometown. If anybody knows the, the Quad Cities. It's like uh, half in Iowa, half in Illinois, right on the Mississippi River. Um, pretty actually big area relative to what's around it, which is all like farmland. Uh, but so we were able to scrounge up like an unofficial chapter. I believe they are an official chapter now. But um, And so we would just go at, to one of the local bars and watch the World Cup games in 2014. Um, and of course, they're on at like 2 p.m. because <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't in, you know, uh, American American time zone, right? Uh, and just the opening match against Ghana, it's like Ghana's the team who eliminated us in 2010. Like it's, it's that first match. You want to set the tone. It's not looking like, you know, late in the match, it's looking like you're going to come out with a draw, which is kind of not what you want. Then all of a sudden John Brooks just finds a way, finds a way to put one in the back of the net off a, off a corner kick header. And, we went nuts. We broke a chandelier. <laughs> so we were in like this party room and they had these like low hanging, like cheap chandeliers. And so we're all jumping up and down and fist pumping. And one of the guys, as he's like pumping his hands, like punched the chandelier <laughs> and the thing broke. But the bar owner wasn't even mad because we more than oh, paid okay. for it with how many drinks oh, we okay. got that day. But it was so cool and like local news crews were there like that's how weird it was that like people were watching soccer together in in davenport iowa <laughs> like you know like the local news was there like covering us watching the match front page and, like, news yeah and so i know what what a match for them to see obviously but it, it was just so cool and it was like it was it was like passion and it was like pure like thrill but it was also like relief when when that goal went and i was like okay <laughs> like we're gonna get three points we're gonna be fine uh and uh it was it was good it was it was a lot of fun and i'll i'll never i'll never forget that to be honest it's awesome um for uh for my non-soccer one you know i guess i don't have a specific result for this but i guess i'll just pay homage to this this uh rivalry in general um so uh, River Falls and Hudson, I, I went to school in River Falls, Wisconsin. I Technically, I lived in Hudson, though. I kind of lived in the country between them. But um, they were the rival schools between the two just because they were the closest to each other. Uh, and uh, though I guess it was really only for when they played football against each other. But the, the rivalry trophy that you won was the little brown jug, kind of like a little barrel yep. or whatever. And... Uh, I just have a lot of good, and also a lot of those games often would end up being like the homecoming game or whatever. And uh, so I just have a lot of good. I wasn't, I'm not a huge American football fan, but but I did go to a lot of those games, and uh, just have a lot of good memories of of being way too cold, sitting at yeah <laughs> at the stadium watching a bunch of dudes I had like recognized from a class one time uh, run into each other and and yeah. and fight for this thing. So. It's very silly in retrospect, but I have a lot of good memories of going to those games, and uh, we didn't win a ton of them. the The team wasn't didn't have a great record while I was in school. They're great now, actually, but um, but just have a lot of good memories of 
of that rivalry and, and going to those games. So I guess a general shout out to that. Very cool. Uh, my final one is probably the best sports moment of my entire life. And I can't see anything ever coming close to this. Um, so as you know, and a lot of people know, I'm a diehard St. Louis Cardinals fan. Uh, 2011, playing the World Series against the Texas Rangers. Game six. So the Cardinals are down 3-2 in the series. They lose, they're done. They win, they force a game seven. Uh, it's back and forth battle all game long. And there's like 6-6 six, six at one point, like the seventh or the eighth. And so the Cardinals are down, I believe, 9-7, heading into the bottom of the ninth. Two outs, two strikes, like down to their last strike. And uh, a guy named David Freeze comes up to bat. Hits a game-tying triple down to the last strike. So it's 9-9. You go into extras. Texas takes the lead in the 10th. So the Cardinals come up to bat. Again, down to their last strike in the 10th. Lance Berkman hits an RBI single to tie it 10-10 in the 10th. And then in the 11th, David Freeze, the guy who hits the game-tying guy in the ninth, he's up leading off the 11th. And I knew it before it happened. I'm like, he's <laughs> he's hitting a walk-off here. Like, this, this, this game's over. First pitch. Sends it over the center field wall. Cardinals win. They end up winning game seven. But, like, I was so emotionally exhausted <laughs> after this match. Like, I – or after this match, after this game. Again, soccer's soccer's taken over my life <laughs> since. But like after that, like I just like collapsed on the floor in my college dorm room. <laughs> my my college friends are just watching me have like this emotional roller coaster. Like I couldn't talk afterwards. I lost my voice. Like it was absolute insanity for about four and a half hours. And it was, but it was like the best. Oh man. It, it you, you can't you can't beat those kind of moments like when when all seems lost and all of a sudden like you, you, your team finds a way it's like oh man it's yeah. just the best P- baseball has has a lot of um you know people that aren't fans of it anymore and i totally understand the problems people have with it but baseball is perfectly designed for that it is the yeah. perfect sport for those r- bizarre rubber banding moments of fortune Mm-hmm. And and if you're if if you can get in the right headspace to enjoy the the rest of the sport, it, it's it's worth those moments because they 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 can be so um, like the the momentum and the tension of them is so unique to to baseball because of the way it works versus you know football basketball soccer. Um, so yeah, that sounds awesome. I don't I don't I didn't know about that to be honest, but mm-hmm. but that's that's awesome. Yeah, and it's to me like baseball is interesting because I mean, 162 game regular season, like it's so easy to to tune it out, right? But yeah. like when you get to the postseason, like I think there's the biggest jump in in electricity that happens. Mm. Like there's really, unless your team is like in like a division title chase and it's September and like all of a sudden these games mean a lot, then then you're paying really close attention and you're kind of into it, but for the most part, it's like, and I'll watch the Cardinals a lot during the regular season, just because, you know, it's good to have on in the background. They're my team. I follow them really closely, but even then I won't watch a full game because full baseball games, like four hours these days, even nine inning games. Uh, But 
like you almost can't replace that increase in electricity and tension when it comes to the playoffs. Like that's when like the, the, the time between pitches or how long it takes, like it just, it adds to the drama of it all in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. It takes away from it in the regular season completely, but I think it adds to that sort of anticipation when you get to playoff time and postseason time. So, For sure. um, yeah, it's, I don't know, man. I'm just never going to forget that. All right. We have gone an hour and 24 minutes. We still have an interview to get to with Sydney Warden. So uh, Dom and I are going to let that be that this week. Thank you guys so much for tuning into 10,000 pitches. We really appreciate it. Stick around for our interview with 2021 NPSL golden boot winner, Sydney Warden, uh, catching up with him on his season. He's having at Mercyhurst and uh, trying to get him to reveal what his plans are for the summer of 2022. <laughs> Uh, stick around to see if he gave us any hints or not uh till then or till next time guys thank you so much for tuning into 10k we really do appreciate the support and we'll talk to you next week all right our guest this week scored 16 goals in 12 games over the summer for duluth fc won the 2021 npsl golden boots for scoring the most goals across the league nationwide and now he is carrying that success into his fall college season out east in pennsylvania with mercyhurst university it's none other than Sydney Warden. Sydney, how you doing, man? Thanks for so much for uh, jumping on the show this week. I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Well, we're excited to have you on, uh, not only because, obviously, you did big things this summer with Duluth, but as I mentioned, you are having a heck of a year in your college season with Mercyhurst. So, um, you know, tell me a little bit about how the season has gone for you so far and maybe what makes, you know, the, the college atmosphere, the college season, the college – um, feel maybe a little bit different to uh, what happened over the summer in Duluth too? I mean, it's not that much of a difference. You kind of got to separate it a little bit, but not too different. It's, at the end of the day, they're both similar. There's a small small season and every game counts. So, and that's the way you've got to look at it. Had a bit of a slow start in the fall, me and the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we're really getting into our groove and now it's every game counts even more. So we're going to try it. We have to win out and, and see where we go from there. But it's, it's, things are looking up for sure. Well, you had a little bit of a break between the college se- or the, the summer season and your college season. Do you think maybe that took away from a little bit of your momentum? Did you enjoy the break? Did it give you a chance to maybe heal up and rest up a little bit? You know, how, how was that time off? Do you think it, it you know, helped or do you think it maybe took away to that momentum you had? I mean, usually like back at home, I'm used to playing a ten, nine, ten month season back in England. But um, obviously over here, the summer season's only, what, two months and the fall season's only two or three months as well. So usually you're, you're used to doing that back to back, but it's just the sheer amount of games you have in that short space of time. Like you're playing two games a week consistently. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's tough. So you do need that little bit of a break and it's helpful for all the players who play in the summer and then going into the fall. And I think it's necessary. And then you've got that big spring. Uh, to to recover to recover on a bigger level, like you get one injury. We had a boy get injured the other day in our side, who uh, he's out for the season. But it's like if we had a ten month season, then obviously he wouldn't have been out for the season. But mm-hmm. you get any, you pick up any little knock, and you can miss three four games just from a little knock. So it's um so it's definitely you do need that little respite. I think in between them few weeks, it's really helpful. It keeps, lets your body recover from the from the heavy summer schedule, especially going into playoffs like we did. Um, so it's important, I think. So let's turn the clock back a little bit, Sydney. Let's uh, for those who may not know, kind of your backstory here. It's it's quite the story, honestly. Um, so 
So tell us a little bit about kind of your your you know youth background in soccer, your introduction to the game, and kind of how you've sort of progressed into this uh, you know into this prominent role that you have here here in Minnesota. Because we're not the only ones that are following your progress at Mercyhurst, Sydney. I mean, there are a lot of people locally who are really excited about what you're doing. So tell us a little bit about kind of your your youth soccer background and kind of how you've grown into this sort of sort of role and sort of player. So uh, back in England, I started out. I played soccer since I can remember since a very very young age. Um, and I was in the the academy system. I played for a few teams. I signed my first contract at uh, Tottenham Hotspur. Believe it or not, I was a centre back back in them days. Um, wow. I didn't start playing as a forward until I went into the non-league game, and I was about seventeen at Margate. Went in their under twenty three side as a as a striker, and I did well. And I won I won the I was a top goal scorer in that league before I came out to the States. I was initially going to come over here as an attacking midfielder. Um, but I went to striker and scored some goals and that's how I came out here. So, but yeah, I was at Spurs and then I got left Spurs as a centre-back, went to um, Tottenham Hotspur, uh, to uh, Southend United, another lower league pro side out there. I was there till I was about 14, 15. And then I went into, into non-league, into semi-pro game. And I think that helped me a lot going into men's soccer and early. I mean, I think I played my first men's game at 16. Um, so I got I got used to it early um, and it helped me come on, not just physically, but how to use my body was was a big one. And coming over to play the college game is obviously a lot, it's very physical. So um, that was important. I think that was a big, important step for me. But going into non-league, I think it kind of humbled me a little bit because I was in the pro, pro game for a bit and then it kind of thought, I came into non-league thinking, wow, I've been in the program, I'm going to be better than everyone else here. And it was like, wow, these boys are decent. Like, I, I still mm-hmm. need to bring it every week. So it, it was good. I think that was a good thing for me. And then I always, I always knew I was going to come out to the States. I mean, I was always, uh, my parents were always big on school and stuff. And kind of in England, you have to choose between school and soccer. Uh, over here, you don't have to do that. You can play sport to a high level and then get a degree at the same time. So that was always on my, on my, uh, on my mind. And that's something that um, I, I thought I was going to do since the age of 15, 16. And, and yeah, and then I came out here and the rest, as they say, is history. I'm, I'm out, still out here and I'm enjoying myself. <laughs> is that kind of a widely known, I guess, fact or, or thing, uh, you know, over there, uh, overseas, that, you know, if you want to do both, if you want to play soccer and get an education, that you do need kind of, you know, kind of come to the United States or go, or go somewhere else where that's, sort of how the the system works yeah for sure I mean it's getting bigger and bigger every year um mm-hmm. there's so many internationals coming out to play college soccer at, at, the, at a variety of levels as we saw we had a lot of international boys in our team at the Luff. we got a lot of internationals here at Mercia so we had a lot of internationals at Francis Marion where I was before we um it's just getting bigger and I think the facilities are a big thing as well like the facilities we play out here, especially at like Mercyhurst, I mean, at my old school, the Luff, it was all, all second to none. Like you couldn't ask for any more. And it was, and whereas back at home, like I remember I was in the pro game at a lower league pro side, and the facilities were poor. To be honest, like we, the pitches were shocking. We'd have games throughout, from between November and February, were always 50-50 whether they were going to be played or not because the pitch was in terrible condition. Whereas here we don't really have that problem. It's it's lovely. So facilities are a big thing, but like you say, the education. You, we the majority of people who come out here from overseas want to try and go pro. That was that's my yeah. intentions. That's a lot of boys' intentions, and we know we're sensible enough to know that that's it's a slim chance. I mean, it's it's a tough thing to do. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's it takes a lot, and so you need a backup plan, and the degree can offer you that. 
it's interesting to hear you talk about kind of the facilities here in America being being better than even some of the pro facilities that you played at overseas, because I think the the prevailing assumption, the prevailing thought here is that soccer in America as a whole is so far behind Europe or England or wherever in almost every asset. I think that's the or every every every, every aspect. It's like it's almost like the assumption that that we're just far okay. behind in, in every single thing. But but it, it kind of sounds like to you that that in terms of lower league here, you know, things are better over here uh, facilities wise and maybe even fan support wise, community support wise than maybe what you experienced overseas. Is that true? I'd say so. I mean, I'd say when you go into lower league at home, the community feel is is different. Like the like when I was at Margate, I remember my first game, my first game going into the first team there was an away game at Dulwich Hamlet, and uh, Dulwich Hamlet's a big club, and they had a they had problems about I don't know. It was this was about now three four years ago, and they had trouble with their stadium. Uh, they were going to lose their stadium to the council and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. I went, I came on. I was seventeen years old, and um, we was one nil up. I came on at a corner. We was defending at a corner and uh, they scored from the corner as soon as I came on. And there was about 12, 13, 1400 people there. Just big roar. And I was like, whoa, I'd never played in front of a crowd like that before. Yeah. So the, the, the community and the and the, the fan base and stuff at, at home, especially in a lower league game, I'd say it's just different. I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even say it's better because I, I go to places like Duluth and like we got I don't know how many it was when we played in the playoffs at Cup Half. It was like something like seven or eight hundred, and like it was a lot of people. So I wouldn't even say it's better. I just say it's just a different feel um, mm-hmm. to it. Like, I think it's very hard to explain, to be honest. But in terms of facilities and that, like you go to colleges, and it's just don't get me wrong. It's not all the teams. Like I remember when we went to like the, the lower the clubs in the summer, we didn't have a lot of money. Teams like Aris and stuff like that, they struggle like to get the facilities together and stuff like that, which is fine. Mm-hmm. Then you know, it's the more, it's more the colleges, like the money the colleges have got. But like, I remember I was at Francis Marion, they had a new two million dollar athletic complex. It was unbelievable. Here at FMU, mm-hmm. we've got uh, here at Mercyhurst, we've got free turf pitches that are second to none. Like it, it's that mm-hmm. on that side of it, it's it's very 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 different, very different. Like to get facilities like this, you'd have to go quite high up the pro scale, in my opinion, in England. Yeah. I think that's an interesting note. You know, obviously there's so much money in the universities here. Um, and, and particularly in the sporting aspect, there are colleges in this country that like their entire marketing angle is their sports team. So it's um, very different, uh, obviously, than England in that sense, especially the university game in England where it's more seen as kind of a side thing, not necessarily what you yeah. would go to school around. Um, yeah, you know, one thing that I'm, I'm curious to, to touch on with Mercy Hurst for you is, uh, you have two teammates there who you played with at Duluth as well, uh, Dylan Sumner and uh, Martin Brizwa. What, uh, what is that dynamic like playing with, uh, two guys at different teams sort of back and forth? That's not necessarily something you see a lot at this level of the game. I think, I think it's good. Like, I think... It gets you used to them, especially when we had a we had the season before the Luft that year. Obviously, we didn't have a college season because of COVID, so it was kind of the first time really I got to be able to play with them in a competitive environment, which was nice. Um, it, it just it helps you gel with them, and it helps you, especially where, especially with Dylan, who who's a centre mid and an attacking mid, who obviously I get to see a lot of the ball from and stuff like that. Whereas Martin's a centre back, like I don't get as much of the ball from him, obviously positionally, but. 
it's good to develop them relationships early on, know who, who you can and can't count on. And I know that I can count on them boys in the summer. I can count on them now here in Mercia. So it just, it helps gel the team together and it helps develop a team. And, and if, to be honest, I think the summer sides, it's nice to know, go to people where you know people. It, them relationships take time to build. I remember at the Luff, we, we, not me and Dylan and Martin, especially because obviously we was at Mercia's together, but other players, it took time for us to, to gel as a squad and it, and, it, and it showed in our performances and in our results where we started off maybe, we got results, but we did we started off a bit slowly, I think, in our performances and we gradually got better and better and better. And I think the real turning point for us was when we beat Med City at their place 4-1. We was like, wow, now we're a team and now we're together. And, and that was a great performance for us. So I think that's where that shows. So I think it's important both for the college team that you're in and the and the summer league side you go to that that gel can really it, 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 the best teams I've played in are the teams that are the most together. Like mm-hmm. they don't necessarily the best most talented teams, but the teams that are, that are together the most genuinely do the best. In from what I've seen, was that difficult for you? Obviously, the last couple of years you've uh, you switched colleges, then you have this sort of other experiences with FC. Did that was that difficult for you to navigate building so many new relationships like that over the course of about two years? Uh, not too difficult. I, I've been I've been lucky with the people I've been involved with, and especially where you can choose, like the people I remember when I was at Francis Marion. My sophomore year, we had a new coach come in, so it wasn't someone I necessarily went. I want to play for him, and so so that was a bit more difficult. And then when I came to when I decided to come to Mercia, so I was speaking to our coach Ryan on the phone, had a good, I had a good relationship with Ryan. So I think that helped a lot. There was a couple of other English boys here, Dylan being one of them, which was always helpful. So it helped me feel a bit more at home. It was nice. And then going to Duluth in the summer, I had a good few conversations with Sean before going, before committing to Duluth. I knew there was going to be Dylan and Martin there, obviously. There was other English lads like Westy and, uh, and Daffers were there. So it's all about being smart in the way you put in the places you pick to go. So it wasn't it wasn't too difficult for me because I felt like I was surrounded by a lot of good people, a lot of people I got on with that matched my personality and, and people that I felt comfortable with. So there wasn't there isn't really anyone that I have fallen outs with because I'm not if I if I don't like someone I won't play with them. You know what I mean? Like it's just mm-hmm. not not what if I can avoid it. You know what I mean? Don't get me wrong. If I was a player on my team, I'm not best friends with. It doesn't mean I can't play with them at all. Like, but if if I have the option, I'd rather be at a team where obviously I'm more comfortable with the people. So it's not been too difficult, to be honest. Let's dig into that uh, season you had over the summer in Duluth. I mean, NPSL Golden Boot, 16 goals. Uh, in, it was it was quite the year. Um, obviously, as a, as a striker, uh, you, you sort of have that mentality that, you know, you, you, you feel confident in your play. You want to score as many goals as you can. But when did you start to, I guess, notice that you were having a, you know, a quote-unquote special season? Like, when did you kind of know that you were on a really good roll and when did you kind of start to hear like the golden boot, like verbiage kind of enter the fray? Well, in terms of the golden boot, I said to Sean, I think it was in December when he called me. And I said to him, when he was talking about coming to the left, I said, my goal's simple. I want to be the top goal scorer in the league. And that was, wow. that was always Golden my shot. target. And I, yeah. I mean, that was always my target. And that was, and it's something I, I, I've always planned on doing. And, I think the start we had, that first game against Joy, obviously getting two goals and a winner in the last few minutes, that really kick-started the season. I think there was no better way to start in that sense. Not 
just for me, but for the team as well. I think that really, like we we were two 0 up, then we were three two down, and we we dug mm-hmm. deep and we got the result that we needed and wanted. And it was it was a it was a great day, and that feeling was to score that winner was unbelievable. And I think the confidence just kept going from there. And then we went to Minneapolis. I got two there, and I just kept going. And it was. It got to points where I was like, right, I'm eight goals in five games or whatever. I'm now I'm ten goals in six games or something like that. And it was just it just kept going. I was like and I tried not to think about it too much. I tried to just keep doing what I was doing and uh, and, and it and it kept going and ended up being a good season for me and uh, and I want to carry that on. Were you sort of, even though you were trying not to, were you paying attention to that? Or did you have teammates sort of like nudging like, hey, you're at you know eight goals, you're at ten goals, you know? Did, how how did that sort of stay in your mind even though you were trying to you know just focus on what you were doing uh, I mean it's obviously hard to just to ignore it I mean obviously the, like, mm. the boys like what, what goals you on now and I said them and they'd be like wow you're doing well I was like I don't know and um, <laughs> I, it was just like just trying to get on with it and and I, and I think the thing for me I was always looking at the people below, below me that was a big thing for me I just wanted to get clear of the people below me as much as I can um People come in one goal behind me, two goals behind me. There was a point where a couple were a couple ahead of me. Uh, I think there was one one game. I think I don't think I scored in the one game, and I looked or I looked at the on the MPSL website a couple of days later, and I saw one of the other boys had scored like six or seven goals in one game, and leapfrogged. And I was like, wow, <laughs> come on! <laughs> so it, it's just I, I just look around at other people, and that gives me the motivation. I try not to focus on me. I'm try obviously I focus on my game, but like. I try not to be like, okay, I'm here. That's good. No, I want to be like, no, I want to be further away from them and build on them and be better than them. But the main thing for me, really, like, golden boot or no golden boot, the team, the team's performance was always going to come first. Like, and uh, and we did well as a team. We, I feel like we could have and should have gone further. I mean, that game against Carpathia, obviously, we was two goals up. We could have mm-hmm. had a few more goals. And the, the guy, I can't remember his name, but he scored an absolutely worldy free kick. It was unreal. Um, but yeah, I think the team the team performance was always the big thing for us and whether golden the golden boot came or didn't come was a bonus and it was a bonus I got, which was nice. I assume you're not hundred percent sure what your plans are gonna be for next summer yet. I mean, if you want to make an announcement here on ten thousand pitches, by all means, <laughs> go for it. Um, but I, I wanna ask you about kind of how this season ended. Does that could that kind of let sour taste in your mouth, that unfinished business could that impact your decision or has that even in your, as you're kind of contemplating what your plans are for next summer, you know, has it sort of entered your mind that, you know, potentially that could be maybe what gets you over the line in terms of potentially coming back to Duluth next season? Duluth is always going to be a, an option for me in the sense that I had such a great time there, not just mm-hmm. even on the field, off the field, um, great people, Tim Sass, Sean Morgan, uh, Chuds, people like that, unbelievable people at the club. It was a great club. The, the support, the community feel from the club was great. Um, I haven't even begun to really like contemplate what I'm doing yet. I mean, obviously, I've I've had a few options. I've had people contact me um, about the summer, um, but I haven't made any decisions as of yet. But I'd be stupid not to consider the Luff for sure, just because of how good it was there and and how how much of a good time I had there. But at the end of the day, I'm going to do what's best for me. And I, I'm going to at least wait until my full season's over to make any decisions and talk to people. I'm sure me and Sean will have a conversation at some point um, about the summer 
but I won't be making announcements today. That's for sure. <laughs> just, just give me a call. Sydney will lay, uh, we'll lay some kits out on a table and uh, we'll do like the whole college recruitment decision. You can sort of maybe fake like you're going to put one on and put the other on, you know, we can make it a whole thing. So we can do that. We can do that. <laughs> if it makes it any easier, you only need four goals to become our all time lead goal scorer. You're, you're four, but you're three behind tying Kyle Farrar. So if you play, two games for us next season <laughs> you'll probably well, take it so just trust just me do a loan. I, I know about trust me just I know do a loan with record. us trust me i know about that record i know about that one <laughs> that one's in my mind that's awesome all right so let's uh let's fast forward here to the fall uh you mentioned the slow start that you've had that you and the team had at mercyhurst but you've really come on uh over this this last like two or three weeks i feel like every every time i check twitter you guys have played there's a highlight of you scoring a goal um, is that just sort of the team starting to gel together at the right time? Is that, is that you just kind of coming into form? Uh, you know, what's the, what's been sort of the, the catalyst for this, this run that you and the team are both on? I think the pressure came and we, it was, we're, we had a great spring. We won every game we played in the spring. We, we didn't lose a game. We didn't even concede a goal in preseason. Mm. And um, we was like, yeah, we're going to do really well this season. People were saying in the team, like, oh, we can, we can go and win a lot of games and go nationals. We do this, get nationally ranked, stuff like that. And then the first game comes and we're 3-0 down at half time. We're like, wow, what's happened there? We, um, mm-hmm. and it, it was strange. Um, the pressure came on the team. I think at a point in the season, we was we was like, right, we need to go and win every game now and not lose again. And um, that was about, I'd say, a week and a half ago. And we haven't lost since. And the pressure's come on and we've got five games left that we need to go and do the business in and get points in every game. It's a conference game. Every game's a conference game now. And we we want to go nationals and, and we know we're good enough and capable enough to compete at that level. And um you just need to go and prove it at this point. So we had a great result last night against Cipri Rock, one four nil. We drew two all with the Gannon who were fifteenth in the country, beat Lemoyne four one last week. We're we're really on a good roll and um and we're keen to to keep going and, and, and reach the nationals in whatever way we can. And that's our goal for the season for sure. Sydney, we really appreciate the time, man. Just one or two more questions here. Um, my last question for you is pretty, pretty simple. I mean, you've kind of mentioned you, you kind of, the reason why you came to the States is sort of to have that chance to play professional soccer. Um, is that kind of still at the top of the list and what you want to accomplish? What are kind of those longer term goals uh, when it comes to soccer for you? Yeah, playing professionally is something I want to do, and it's something I'm chasing. So, uh, like I said, I've got like we said before in the conversation, there's backups I need to have because obviously it's a tough ask, but that's something I definitely want to do. I mean, soccer's been my life for 21 years now, and um, mm-hmm. I I've, this coming over to the states is the first time I played soccer on a daily basis. Like there was a training session every single day. Like before, I was doing it four or five times a week. Now I'm doing it every day, and I'm like. I don't want to stop doing it every day of the week now. So that's yeah. that's the thing for me. So playing pro, wherever that may be, whether it be in the States, back in England or any other place, that's that's the that's the goal for me. So that's still the number one priority. What are you studying, Sydney? Uh I am a double major in marketing and management. So business is my major, pretty much. Let's say now I'm not making any predictions here, but let's just say you do have to kind of fall upon the fallback option 
you, would, would you still want to work in soccer or would it be painful to you for you to work for a, a team and not be able to play on the field? Um, I think it would be painful, but I think I still couldn't stay away. I think I'd have to yeah. go into coaching or something and college coaching would be something I'd very much consider. Um, if that's what if that's what it came to, I think that's I think I can see myself doing that. I can see that being something I'm good at. Um like I said, I spent my whole life in soccer. I've had a decent college career. Um so that's where that's the I think that's the route I want to go for sure. Um if I if I don't go pro, I think looking at coaching, I think that's that'll be something to definitely be looking at and see what opportunities come from that. Well, I think whether it's on the field or off on the sideline, maybe you got a you got a bright future ahead of you, Sydney, for sure. Uh, Hopefully so. Hopefully so. Double major. You got a good head on your shoulders. You know, you're doing uh, (laughs) you're doing good things on the field as well. Um, I think uh, I think the future is bright for you, man. Um, That's all I got, Dominic. Any 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 last questions for for uh, your guy Sydney here? I'll I'll put one more out. Um, This kind of a this kind of a broad question for you to take, however you want, but. Um, you know, we were we were joking just a minute ago, or whatever about records or whatever. But I, I think sometimes a, a question people have for players that play, whether it be for like a, a lower league team like Duluth or even a, a college team, uh, I think sometimes people aren't sure how much the the history or the records or the the emotion around or branding around those teams, those clubs means to the players. Um, certainly, especially when sometimes they're not from the area or things like that. Mm-hmm. Can, can you maybe um, expand on like what those things do mean to you, representing those uh, those teams, pushing to to make history with them or set records, have your name be a part of that team's history? What does that mean to you? It means a lot. Going down in any team's history books is is something from a personal point of view that would be great. But I think a big thing. That a lot of players will, I know I especially love, and I loved it. Probably one of my favorite things about the summer at Duluth was that was the, and I know Tim Sass is very big on it, is the community feeling, um, and I think that's a big thing. It's very big back home in England, and I think it's getting bigger here in the states. Obviously, the states is so big, so it's harder to to grasp that. But like Minneapolis also had a very good community base. Obviously, they get a lot of people at their games, and I just think that's something that's important to me as a player. Like when I go somewhere, I want to go somewhere that that is big in the community, that's looked at in the community, that's uh, that can help in the community. And Tim Sass is always big about that. That's something I really, really admired about the club and I really enjoyed being a part of. And um, so stuff like that is, is more important to players than I think people think. I think a lot of people, especially on the pro level, like people think the players just there to pick up a paycheck and they're just there for their own gains. But, it's a big ask for players to go to a to a place like I spent the summer in Duluth, like that's and and that's very far away from home. Like I'm not going to go there if I don't enjoy it and I don't enjoy the surroundings and the and the club itself. Like it's not all about the game day because you spend 90 minutes on a pitch, you spend the rest of your time doing ever doing other stuff in and around the place. So I think it's more important than people like to re- like uh, think about and people realize. Um, like I had a host family in the summer. I had a great time with my host family. Saw a different part of the country. Um, it it was a great experience, and I think that's that is very important to players, and it's something that every player should and will look at when they go to pick their summer clubs and go to their colleges and stuff like that. So I think it is more important than people believe. 
All right, we'll end it on that note. Sydney Wharton, 2021 MPSL Golden Boot winner, looking to finish the season strong at Mercyhurst University. Uh, we'll be keeping a close eye on you. We'll be letting the people know how you're doing, for better or worse, Sydney. So keep, keep those goals coming, right? Hopefully, we're gonna talk it's Hopefully it's better. Hopefully it's better. All right. Sydney, thanks for the time, man. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. I appreciate it.